Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to Episode 30 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I just want to share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. And my goal is to offer you hope and encouragement with stories each week of people that live their lives focused on being a servant leader and honoring God. Because what I know is that when you do that, blessings follow as a natural byproduct of that service. Because fundamentally, all of us are given special gifts by God, and we're all called to be ministers in one form or fashion. Because when we see a need, we're called to fill a need. And last week, we had some really special guests uh, in all areas of life, we have people that are servant leaders. But last week, Pastor Arlena Corzine in the area of faith, she came on and she was talking about putting your boots on and creating life change, even though ministry can be messy and dirty. And then Mr. Nicholas Hoyt, he talked about how he can serve his family and honor the legacy of his family through servant leadership that he does. And he used the same words that when you see a need, you need to fill that need. So just a little bit about me as it relates to today's guest. I recently uh, had a great opportunity to be hired by Drexel University to be an adjunct professor. And so today, as my first guest, I have Dr. Ken Hartman. He's a veteran. He's the former president of Drexel University Online. He's also an education consultant, and he's the founder of Our Community Salutes. In the second half, I've got Father Jim Drucker. And Father Jim is really special guest for me because I do a lot of work with chaplains. And at one point, before I found out the priests aren't allowed to get married, uh, I actually wanted to become a priest. So Father Jim Drucker, he's a Catholic priest in the Byzantine Rite. He's a former military chaplain and a VFW chaplain. And he's also a radio personality best known as the Doo-Wop Priest. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Dr. Ken Hartman. Stay with us. We'll be right back. miles and miles. You've been hearing the same old voice at the same old lies. Live and local radio you can depend on for accurate news and stimulating talk. News Talk 1400 WOND, South Jersey's News Talk Leader. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Dr. Ken Hartman. Ken, you on the line? Yes. Hi, Paul. Ken, hey, listen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your Sunday to be on the program today. Oh, Paul, it's an honor to spend time with you and your listeners. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Well, listen, like reading through your bio and the articles about you, I mean, you have done a tremendous amount. But if I have the timeline right, I think a good starting point might be your time in the military because I know you're also a veteran. So would you mind sharing with the listeners like why you felt called to the ministry and uh, the military and when you started with that? Sure. If I could just go back a little bit of before actually uh, was commissioned back in 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, My family background is very important here, especially to your listeners. Uh, as, as I think you're aware, I'm the son of a Holocaust survivor, and my father 
uh, was liberated by a GI. And, and, and growing up with uh, a guy who worked, uh, you know, three, sometimes four jobs a day to put his kids through uh, high school and eventually output college, there was always a sense of giving back to your country. The military is important. And I, I have to admit to you, the uh, $100 a month I got from ROTC didn't hurt either when I was in college. So I, uh, I joined ROTC a few years uh, after, actually, the, the, the volunteer uh, draft ended. And uh, it was not a great time to be in uniform, either on campus or off campus. But I did it because uh, of, of the importance of a military and society. I did it because of my family background and what the military has done to me. I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for... Uh, a service member, um, and, um, the, and and so it, it, it became a very important part of my life, uh, the leadership lessons, uh, the, the parenting lessons I learned, and the friends along, I met along the way. That's awesome. And you mentioned leadership lessons. Like, What did you learn in the military about servant leadership and how to care for others? Well, that, you know, that, that you always come last, that your troops and your people came, come first. Yes. And, and I... I, I if we had about an hour show, I could give you lots of lessons, but one in particular that was the first time I got commissioned. I, I met my, my unit. It was already out in the field. It was an armor unit. I was the only clean guy there. Everybody was dirty because they'd been in the field two weeks, and I met my company commander. I got up the next morning. I was in line to get something to eat, and all of a sudden I hear someone yell, Hey, LT. And the NCO in front of me said, I think he's talking to you, sir. And I turned around to my company commander, who I just met literally hours before that. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm getting a cup of coffee, have some breakfast. He says, are your men fed? I said, I don't know. He said, you're the last one to eat. Get out of line <laughs> and find out. And that lesson has stuck with me in everything I do, not just in, 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 my, in my children or friends coming over for a barbecue or anything else, but it's it's it's, it's a lesson about your, your secondary to... Um, to, to the people that are responsible for it. And uh, it's carried with me, you know, all these years later. You know, that's really funny you uh, share that story because when I was a second lieutenant and I went out to the field, I think it was either Graffenbeer or Hohenfels, I had a very, very similar experience. And that's carried forward for me uh, for quite a while. So now, uh, even just as a father, you know, I know that my needs come last. And I have to make sure that my wife is cared for and my kids are cared for before I do anything else. And, you know, I buy anything for myself. So I love that story. True. Really is. So are there people that mentored you along the way when you were in the military and kind of helped shape you into the person you are today? Oh, yeah, clearly. Uh, probably more than I can mention on this on the air, but one that comes to mind in particular was my first company commander, that guy who was in the field way back when who pulled me out of line and said, what are you doing there? Uh, his name is Gene Clark. He actually serves on our community salutes. He's one of the guys that I actually talk to on a regular basis, a very close friend. And the lessons he, he shared with me were not only about leadership and, 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 and taking care of the people um, that that you're responsible for, but what it's like to be a, a father, what it's like to be a man, what it's like to to give back to society, to, to be caring, be strong, but also caring at the same time. Um, those those lessons. Uh, so he stands out as one, but but as, as I'm sure, you know, in your uh, decades uh, long experience, you had other people in your life as well. But I, I would say that those are some of the people. So he's the, the primary person that made a huge impact on me. You know, that's really something because uh, you say company commander. The biggest person for me was uh, my battalion commander when I was in company command. 
And there were some really hard lessons there that were really hard to take. But in retrospect, I had learned so much from that one guy. His name was Ken King. And, you know, he and I are now good friends. And he's retired. I'm retired. But, yeah, the things that you learn when you're a young lieutenant or captain, they stick with you for a lifetime. And, again, I, I, I got in right, like I said, right after uh, the Vietnam War. So I served with a lot of guys. Gene, the fellow I mentioned to you, served two or three times in Vietnam, highly decorated. And uh, those guys uh, really saw the worst of things. And the way they came back and maintained their dignity and grace under fire from the public that did not welcome them back was a lesson that I, I, I learned from as well. That's awesome. Well, looking at your bio, you also did a lot of work in media. So was that after the military? When did that come in your timeline? Yeah, sort of. Uh, yes, it all kind of blends together. Um, you know, I like to consider myself uh, an educational entrepreneur, a, a consummate teacher, if you will. So I, I, I've taken lots of opportunities to try and, and expand my knowledge. Um, and one of that was, was you know, I, it, it seems things just connected. So I, I started teaching at a university, and then I started writing books, and, I, and the books led to interviews, and the interviews led to television segments. And uh, locally here in uh, Philadelphia, for years I was the on-air personally uh, talking about technology. And every Tuesday, you know, I did a Tech Tip Tuesday. In fact, uh, 20 years ago, last uh, I was on, uh, I, I'm about ready to go on the air when 9-11 occurred. So whether it was in a classroom or whether it was on the air or, you know, I, I wrote a newspaper column for Gannett called Education Today for years, always trying to... Uh, uh, again, coming back from a very working class background where, you know, my father didn't go to college and my mother never graduated from college. I, I always had a notion that whatever knowledge I acquired, I want to share it some way. Yeah. And so the media was one way in which I could do that. And so I, I'm assuming that uh, part of what you used the media for was, you know, you talked about spreading knowledge, uh, but you also mentioned servant leadership in your time in the Army. Like, were you able to use your media as a way to talk to people about being servant leaders and caring for others as well? Well, you know, media is really coming to place with my nonprofit, Our Community Flutes, and so it all kind of uh, shifts together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Our, our Community Flutes, it's, it's weird. Uh, there's so much of, of experience, good luck, and, and divine providence in my life. So 12 years ago, uh, in a moment of weakness, I agreed to serve on our local school board in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, where I discovered uh, what a nightmare that was. But what I discovered <laughs> was that uh, we were doing nothing to recognize and honor the kids who were graduating from high school, and we were enlisting directly in the military. Guys like me or who are ROTC or some of the kids going off the academies got lots of attention. So, you know, I, I, would, I would bat my head against the wall every night driving home from a school board meeting, and I, and I would ask God, why in the world did I, am I in this position? What, what, what did I do wrong? I'm here. <laughs> and then when I discovered that these kids, not just in Cherry Hill or in Camden County, but in Jersey, were not getting that recognition, I knew I needed to do something about them. That was my calling. That's how it all came to be. Um, and that's when I started our community flutes in 2009, uh, almost 13 years ago, to recognize and honor uh, kids across the country who are graduating from high school and who are enlisting in the military, them and their parents, so they get the recognition that they so rightfully deserve. Wow. And so what is the vision that you have for our community slates? I understand the mission is to recognize those high school seniors. Where, where do you foresee it going? How do you foresee it growing? Well, uh, honestly, Paul, uh, I didn't 
think we would be a, a national organization 12 years ago. It was just a need within my community, within my county. But now we're in you know, 23 states, 50 locations. We've honored tens of thousands of kids across the country, including uh, the last two years having a big gala uh, television show called America Flutes. Uh, my hope, and, my, and I pray each day that we will have the knowledge and, and resources to do this, and that it would be to ensure that all 150,000 kids, 150,000 kids every year, that make a decision to put their country before themselves. And as we all would agree, kids today often are probably, if not the, certainly one of the top narcissistic generations I've ever seen in my lifetime. It's always about themselves. It's how much, how many likes they get on their on their Facebook. Well, these 18-year-old kids, sometimes 17-year-old, are, are putting that aside and say, no, I want to be in the watchtower so that you have the freedom to pursue your dreams. And I want to, my goal is to make sure that all 150,000 kids each year, so the class of 2022, uh, are, I get that recognition. And, you know, your listeners can help us in, in really three simple ways. One of which is just to come to our website and sign our virtual thank you cards now starting for the class of 2022. The second one is to attend one of our ceremonies. And they're located all over the country. And you can go to our website at ocsusa.org and find out which is, which one's closest to you. They're free. We don't charge anybody for attending events. About a third of all the people that come to our events are local veterans and active duty people. And the third thing that I would say uh, that we need your, uh, uh, the, the, how your listeners can get involved is obviously to make a, a donation to sponsor one of the class of 2022 high school seniors. And all that information, Paul, is available on our website at OCSUSA. That's OCSUSA.org. So you've been doing this for quite a while. You said since 2009, so that's 12, almost 13 years now. Is there something that really sticks out as a time when God showed up, something that really just has resonated in your heart as the most memorable time you've done this? Oh, God. You know, uh, he shows up at every one of these ceremonies. Uh, Probably uh, most recently, I guess, um, in a sort of strange way, uh, the young, the 13 young service members that we uh, lost recently in, 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 in Afghanistan, we believe we honor two of those 13. Uh, I wish I could still be honored all 13 of them because they are so young and, 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 and new to their jobs. Um, I guess probably, Paul, um, we have lost other young people, including yeah. uh, right here at Camden County. Uh, we had... Uh, uh, a young man here in Cherry Hill who uh, decided that he wanted to go in the Marine Corps after graduating from Cherry Hill High School. Um, and uh, Jeremy uh, Jeremy decided to go in the Marine Corps. No one in his family appreciated uh, the fact that his father died uh, of cancer about a month before his unit was going to be deployed. His mother begged him not to go, but she said, you know, my, my, my brothers need me as well, Mom. And he went to Afghanistan in 2009, and, and Jeremy, in his first month of deployment, was, was, was killed by a suicide bomber. Wow. Um, you know, I went to that funeral. Uh, his mother is a very good friend of mine, college friend, and uh, I, I went to the synagogue, uh, and then I had I was president of a university at the time, so I had to get to campus that morning, but on my way home, I drove by Cherry Hill East High School, and on the marquee, it said Jeremy King class of 2009, Cherry Hill East thanks you. I took a picture of it and I shared it with Melinda, Melinda Kane, uh, several months later. And I said, I hope you don't mind me sharing this picture as an example of when that thank you came too damn late. 
Jeremy Kent couldn't appreciate that thank you as he was driving to Biden the back of a hearse. Yeah. So I think the way God has, has empowered me is to try and get this message out to people to say, you know, these are, these are, some of these jobs are, are dangerous. Yeah. Um, and the other piece I would say also, Paul, is that our, our, our recruiters now are having a very difficult time uh, uh, recruiting uh, young people in the military for a lot of reasons, one of which is many of them won't even qualify because they're overweight or they can't pass the drug test, right. which means that our nation has a very serious security risk. We're not talking much about it. And so if our way of life, our Judeo-Christian beliefs are, 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 are going to be, if there's nobody there to protect them, if we can't find young, dedicated Americans to serve our nation, we're in bigger trouble than I, I think, I think we, we all care to admit. Absolutely. And, you know, I did my doctoral dissertation on recruiting techniques in the Army and the Marine Corps, and it's less than half of 1% of the people in our country that sign up to serve in our military. That, that is a really small number. And I can tell you, I know that you were involved with my good friend, uh, Pat Murphy. Yeah. Patrick Murphy. I mm-hmm. love Patrick spoke at one of our ceremonies in South Jersey. The day before he left, his, the day, he was still acting uh, Secretary of the Army. The very next day, he went back to being Deputy Secretary of the Army. But in any case, so Patrick's been there events, being a big supporter of OCS for many, many years. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the challenge right now is that these young people, as I said, are not getting in. But the kids who do come to our ceremonies, nearly 100% of them actually get on the bus. Uh, because for, for the first time, their moms and dads see the, 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 the magic of, of what it is to serve, the beauty of it. And they see people like yourself who are there, and they understand that, boy, if my kid can turn out to be like Paul someday, my goodness, I think they're setting him on the right uh, direction. So uh, it's a very important job, and I, and I do believe uh, in some way we are all are asked, God asked us to do something small, and I, I, I'd like to think that this is what he asked me to do. I love it. It's a really special calling. And I, I'm curious, I mean, you also served as the president of Drexel Online. I, I was mentioning right before you came on, I was fortunate enough to just be hired as an adjunct uh, for Drexel, and I'm starting my first class this Thursday. So I, I wonder how all that fit into your story and how you got that opportunity with everything else that you've been doing. You know, it's funny. Um, when I was uh, 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 in high school, I think a senior in high school, I, there was an older gentleman who was lecturing to us, and he said he... And he said, he took out his wallet and he said, I have my life goals in my wallet. He put down a little piece of paper and he wrote down, and we couldn't see what they were, but he said, I carry these around everywhere I go. So every time I open my wallet, I know what my life goals were. Mm-hmm. And one of my life goals was uh, to, to earn a, a, a doctorate degree okay. and, and become a university president, if you believe it or not, way back when. Now, this, I understand that I... <laughs> I barely got through high school, <laughs> uh, but somewhere along the line, I, I woke up and I learned to read and write and got through undergraduate and graduate school. I did my doctorate at Penn um, and, and, and got through that whole process, but it was always one of my goals. Again, back going back to the teaching piece, right? And uh, when you're old as I am and you've been in this field, I like to actually consider myself a recovering university president right now because things <laughs> have changed so radically on college campuses, it's, it's not the same place. Um, in, in, I don't mean generalize all universities, but in large, um, many of the people that I, uh, I, I work with over the years, they feel the same way I do, that there's a different culture on college campuses today and many camp- campuses that, quite frankly, is very scary to me because um, 
well, we know what history happens. Oftentimes, it starts on a college campus. But in any case, uh, congratulations on their appointment to Drexel. I, again, I, 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 when I was an administrator there, I also taught uh, in the College of Education. Um, and, and there are times where I do miss that, uh, but uh, not these days. Wow. Well, Ken, we've got about two minutes left. And, you know, before you go, I really am curious, like, all the different things that you've done as an educator and as a veteran and our community salutes. Like, what do you feel is the biggest blessing that God has given you in all the ways that you have served people and served your country? Um, that's a great question and one that, you know, I, I guess I, I, I'm 62 years old, but I, I, I don't, I'm not at a point where I want to start reflecting on my life that much. <laughs> but I, I probably, the biggest blessing I, I've had, I have to say, is probably, would be my two children and my wife of, of 33 years. Yes. Uh, our children are 20, 20 going to be 30 and, and, and 27. Uh, they're both gainfully employed uh, in very beautiful positions. They're beautiful people. Um, and I, I, I couldn't be more proud. And I know that uh, they say that, uh, you know, the, the, the parents have a lot to do. I think some of that is parenting, um, and some of it is just by the grace of God, you know, that, that we were blessed with two kids that, were, that, were, that didn't get in trouble, that focused um, uh, by and large, and, uh, and now are happy adults. So I, I would say that probably is my biggest blessing. And, and the people that I've met along the way and, and individuals like you that I get to meet, although virtually over the phone. Uh, but uh, I just think I've been blessed to be able to try a lot of different things. Many of my friends were financially more successful than I was because they focused on being the best accountant. They focused on being, you know, the, the best lawyer or the best doctor. I, I always kind of looked at life as a, you know, as a buffet. And when things came along that looked interesting, try it. Um, and one kind of thing led to another, and, and and that's the journey I've been on. Amen. Well, Ken, you have been blessed, and it has been a true blessing to have you on the program. Thank you so much for what you've shared and what you're doing for our community and how you're saluting our service members. It's been a privilege. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. God bless you. All right. When we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Father Jim Drucker. Stay with us. We'll be right back. But I'm believing that every one of us would... Lean in, press in towards God and embrace all that he has. And the amazing promise of the Bible is that as we lean into God, as we draw near to God, is that he draws near to us. And that he comes to change us and reveal himself to us and speak to us. News Talk 1400, W-O-N-D. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show... Contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Father Jim Drucker. Father Jim, thank you so much for coming out and being on the program today. This is Reverend Father Jim Drucker, non-doctorate, <laughs> two master's degrees, baccalaureate, and an associate, and I get a little cough finger, so forgive me, usually we have a cough button. <clears throat> I've been on radio for many years, and it's great to be on the air with you on the mighty 590 WRM, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton's number one station for fun. And listen, I work with a Jewish boy, Stephen Allen Scott. He was on the air here a month ago here at OND. 
and a wonderful man, Steve Rosenberg, and he's on the air, and I'm driving to work. He did the 7 Midnight. I did All Night Show. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Warren the Mighty 590. He said, ah, I'll tell you what, for you are getting for 589. <laughs> <laughs> Great to be with you. Thank you so much for coming out. Wait, Father Jim, look, look reading through your background and all the articles about you, you have done so much, and your background is very diverse, but I'm really curious how you got the name the Doo-Wop Priest. Uh, well, first of all, I'm 79, but my spirit and my heart and my soul is absolutely 21. Amen. It, it's going on uh, 22, possibly. I have my health issues. I'm a disabled vet. <clears throat> but regards to the answer, the specific answer, I was with the, the Emeralds, Jerry Tempesta, Bobby Love, who passed away. I, helped, I buried him. God bless him. Rest in soul. And we were at Ridley Park. It was an FOP uh, concert. Shirley and the Shirelles of the Shirelles was there. You know, Will You Love Me Tomorrow, et cetera. And Charlie Gracie was there. I had met, I had booked Charlie Gracie back in the 60s at, when I was at Jolly Joyce Agency, 10th and uh, Chestnut Streets, Philadelphia, a big, wonderful theatrical booking agency. But anyway, uh, uh, Charlie Jr. was in the back, uh, in the back wings. And he said, who are your father? I said, I'm Father Jim Joyce. He said, oh, my, you're, you're the doo-wop priest. So Charlie Gracie <laughs> Jr. of fabulous and butterfly fame, he's, his son gave me the title of the doo-wop priest. Now, I'm Father Jim Drucker, Philly's doo-wop priest, and I'm on OutsideFM.com, if I may plug our, our wonderful uh, uh, streaming service uh, through via uh, Philadelphia and T. Morgan who was the innovator and brought classic rock and roll to Philadelphia, the fourth largest market in the country. Wow. And he's so renowned, he was probably more renowned in convincing the well, the powers to be at WMMR-FM, which an FM was just starting then, right. mid, mid to late 60s. Uh, he's probably, the station's probably more powerful than PLJ, which used to be the FM station in New York City. And he's a wonderful man. I do weekends. And he told me not too long ago, I had the number one show. I said, you're kidding me. You're playing doo-wop radio? Uh, at 6 to 8 a.m. God's not up at 6. <laughs> if I were a bishop, there'd be no masses before noon. <laughs> Don't tell the bishop I said that. <laughs> Anyway, I'm on Saturdays. We have the great, the great uh, DJs. Dick Summer is on, and T does the show. Has a great blog and a great site. Back when he started, um, uh, um, Bruce Springsteen used to come and hang at his, gravel at his feet, so to speak, because he, he really was very famous, and he still is a wonderful man. And I'm grateful to be on the air. Father Jim Jarkin, Philadelphia's new art priest on the spirit of rock and roll on OutsideFM.com. <laughs> so that explains how you got the doo-wop priest. But what called you to be into the priesthood? What did you feel like calling to ministry? What was that like for you? Well, I was a famous DJ. Well, see, so fairly famous. That's boasting when one says that. But I worked at... Um, uh, WYNS, the Nifty 1150 in Allentown, Heightened uh, Market. Uh, I was a booking agent prior to that, record promotion man. I went from there, did the Molly Maguires. I was a stand-in for the priest. Can you believe that one? <laughs> I was a disc jockey, but I wanted to meet Richard Harris, and I wanted to interview him because he had the hit record, sold uh, over, a hundred, uh, over a million records, was MacArthur uh, 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 Park. And Jimmy Webb came on the set one time, so that was a blessing. And I interviewed him for Monitor when I went to WSCR, worked there, the number two rock station in the scranton Wilkesbury market, about well, maybe a close to a million total for both the markets, but uh, but SCR covered Scranton. And then I went from there, I went to uh, WABC in New Haven, Connecticut, 
as Jack Mitchell. I worked with a fellow named Joe Lane, Joe Lenti, and he went on to become Joe McCoy, the famous Joe McCoy, WCBS-FM. And all the great jocks worked for him. Jack Spector, Dan Ingram, Herb Oscar Anderson, Harry Harrison. And then I came back uh, to Warm Radio. And from there, it was around that time that I started going to Mass every day. Mm. I met a lot of priests. One of them was Father Nicky Fasonic. He was a Ukrainian Catholic priest in Nanticoke, uh, where Nick Adams was his parishioner, the, the famous uh, rebel. You know, the, okay. I forget the TV show now. Uh-huh. now. He's buried in a Ukrainian Catholic boy. And when I saw him each day, a blind priest, he was blind 22 years. Wow. And he had everything set up at the altar. So I really fell in love platonically, so that's sure. clear with him. And I became a close friend and an advocate, and he, t- he to me as well as a father confessor and a priest. I can share that because mm-hmm. he was there in my confessions, not vice versa. And um, so eventually uh, I, I met another priest, a passionist priest, Father Paul Garrity, uh, Bishop John Stock of the Ukrainian Church. And then I went on a retreat, and I was dating a girl named Judy. She was a knockout. Let me tell you, she was a dream. <laughs> but what can I tell you? <laughs> That's part of the the uh, difficulty of holy priesthood yeah. celibacy. Yeah. But I went on to retreat to uh, up in the Toby Hanna area, the re, uh, the Redemptorist, Bishop John Newman of Philadelphia. He mm-hmm. was a Redemptorist, fourth mm-hmm. Bishop of Philly. And it was there that I was walking around in circles. I became a priest going in circles then and now. And uh, there were judges, there were lawyers, there were doctors. It was just wonderful. And everybody's praying the rosary. Can you imagine a bunch of people? professional people walking around like idiots praying with rosary beads in their hands, Hail Marys, and I said, wow, this is a knockout. Like the Wall of Jericho type thing. Absolutely. So then I went uh, and saw the priest. His name was Bill Jamison. He since passed on. God rest your soul, Father Bill. And I, I don't know if you know this, but the airwaves never die. Did you know that? No. Airwaves are infinite. They never die. So what we're doing right now is bouncing around in the atmosphere. Okay. But anyway, Bill Jamison, Father Bill, and sat with me in the parlor, and he said, uh, Jimmy, usually I tell someone to wait a year, but he said, you know what? I feel the strength in your in your being, and I think you should study for holy priesthood. So wow. I, I accepted that and, and started studies. Wow, that is awesome. And so how did you go from the priesthood to the chaplaincy? That's a big jump. And by the way, it's 43 years this year. December 3rd, I'll be a priest of the eparchy or diocese of Passaic, New G- Jersey. Now, what was the question again? Bring it back up. How you turned in from the priesthood to the chaplaincy? Well, uh, I was in the Army Reserve and Guard for six years, 64 to 70, out of Philadelphia, Massachusetts. And uh, so I had some background. I, I, I was in uh, Fort Jackson for six months, intensified basic infantry, advanced infantry, and basic unit training. And we were told we're going to NAM. Wow. I did not go, thank God. Uh, but uh, eventually... Uh, boy, I'm, you know, I'm starting to slip a little bit while I was 79 <laughs> years old. Bring me back again. I'm sorry. I feel so encumbered. Transitioning from oh, priesthood yeah, yeah. to okay. chaplaincy. So then I became a priest in 78. I was ordained December 3rd, 1978 in Wilkes-Barre. My first pastorate, because we get parishes quicker because we're smaller. Sure. We're larger geographically, but smaller in size. And uh, I was sent to Massachusetts uh, to St. Michael Church, South Hadley, I became very close to the uh, priest there, and one of the priests was a dean, Father Pete Lockman, a lieutenant colonel, like you, sir. And uh, he um, 
said, Jimmy, why don't you go into the uh, into the chaplaincy? I said, eh. so anyway, we, we planted the seed, and he played uh, uh, like Miles Standish for me. He uh, When the bishop came in to bless our church, Bishop Michael Dudick, a blessed repose of memory, uh, he uh, he talked with them and said, planted the seed, said, Father should be a chaplain here. We have an opening at the Reserve Center. So I became a Catholic priest. Chaplain was uh, was uh, at that time commissioned first lieutenant was supposed to get captain, but there was something about ROPA reserve something. Mm-hmm, right. Eventually, I got captain, but I I joined there and I spent uh, two years with the I think it was the three fourteenth combat support squadron, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Matter of fact, I enticed, and I mean this because I love people, I love everyone of any faith. There was a young uh, man, Ron uh, uh, Measle. I think it was Ron Measle, he's a Lutheran minister, and we needed a Protestant minister. And he was really kind of against it because he thought it was killing. And I said, look, your role as a chaplain is a role to serve God yes. and God's people. Yes. He finally accepted. Son of a gun, he outranks me. Now he's a lieutenant colonel. <laughs> Measle, uh, uh, I can't think Pastor Measle. He was part of our ecumenical group of, of pastors and sure. uh, churches in uh, South Abbey, Massachusetts. Well, Father Jim, with all the things that you've done in your life, being a radio personality and a priest and a chaplain, what's the hardest thing that you've ever had to do? Is it a funeral? Is it doing a death notification? What's the hardest thing well, you've ever done? I was done? thinking about that because you were, you were smart enough to, to send a little reconnaissance notes there. And uh, it's probably two things, if I may. The, one of them was uh, my mom passing away. Mm. Uh, for a priest, his woman, if you want to put it, his lady is his mother. Sure. And many priests that I know that were close to their moms, I call her mom. Being a matter of fact, the lieutenant governor of our state, uh, who passed away, I was to Saul Catherine Baker and all, came to my office one day because I had mass every Sunday at Fort Indiana Gap, and I said, "My mom." He said, "Father, you're not 20 years old. Your mommy." I said, "Look, Catherine, you can have her. Your mommy, your mother. I'm going to have my mommy." <laughs> but anyway. Um, when she passed, it was very hard on me because I, my spiritual director was Father Anthony Skirla of the Franciscans. I remember going to him and saying, Anthony, I'm really... He said, let me ask you something, Jeremy. I said, yes, Father. He said, um, I said, all I wanted to do was kiss her. Yeah. And she lived with me in the rectory, and she died. I didn't even know it. So yeah. he said, would you like to remember a dead mother, a dead mommy, or a living mommy? And he explained it basically, you're not John Wayne, you're not coming on your white horse riding in, you're you're hugging your mommy, grabbing and saying, hey, mom, goodbye, I'll see you in 50 years. So he brought the reality to me that God called her when he called her. Yeah. And the other thing is celibacy. It's a very um, heavy, difficult thing for for men of passion. I mean that in the healthiest, most purest sense. Uh, Very difficult. Uh, So that's been a a hard uh, struggle. Not every day, not every week, not every month, but the idea that, especially now that I've been a priest 43 years, that I could have been married, had children, had a family. And the other part of it I shared with you recently by us talking alone was that Mm -hmm. the church now, while it's a beautiful thing, is allowing many ministers of various faiths, the Catholic Church, to come into the fold, to actually come into the priest, not just as as Catholics, but to be received as as Catholic priests, with minimal rights to begin with, mm-hmm. uh, and married. So, and, and, and ironically, my church, my right, mm-hmm. ritual, R-I-T-E, mm-hmm. is to have a married clergy. And all around the world, when I was in Turkey, there were three priests, Chaldean right, in Istanbul, Constantinople, that were at the altar with uh, Archbishop uh, Cardinal Lutasami, an Indian fellow. He was the Oriental 
the the cardinal of the congregation of the Oriental or Eastern churches, and there were three priests that were married that were married with children. It was beautiful, and they have the right Chaldean, Coptic in Egypt, uh, uh, rights throughout the world. And it was our privilege here to 1929, and we lost that privilege to marriage. We had to embrace celibacy. Wow. So, Father Jim, with all the different things that you've done, you use the word passion, that you're, you're a passionate man, but it sounds like you really have a passion for radio, and that's how you're able to kind of keep yourself going. Where did that passion come from? Because you, you've done it for so long. Well, when you leave, this mic won't be here. Just don't look. You better look at it closely because I'm still in this beautiful microphone. <laughs> it's got good sound, nice compression. Your your engineer in there, Stuart's a lovely gentleman. It looks like he's making my voice sound better than it should be. Uh, but I, I don't know. I love radio. Like I say, when I was in Philadelphia, I worked for Jolly Joey's Theatrical Booking Agency. We booked many acts, Johnny Maestro, Joey D., who's a good friend of mine. And then eventually... Um, uh, you got to bring me back. I'm sorry. This never happens. It's starting <laughs> Your to happen. passion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah for, for radio. Okay. So then uh, I was in in uh, booking, and eventually I used to go to radio stations and pro records for Buzzy Curtis. He owned a label called Post Records. He would go to various radio stations and put on the flip side of the album cover the disc jockeys, and on the other side, we, he would pick records that he owned the masters of, and then the station would promote the heck out of it because it's their, their album. Wow. And uh, I worked for him, and I, I broke Laugh Laugh by the Bo Brummels upstate. I was road manager for Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells back in 1961. So you've got a real voice for radio and a real passion for and it. And then eventually, uh, I saw these jocks. I used to think it was stupid, you know, talking about But anyway, I fell in love with it, started at WYNS Radio, went to... Uh, Sarasota, Florida, to gain my first class radio FCC radio telephone license. That's the epitome. As Stuart, I told him, he said, wow, I've had it since 1965. Stuart shared with me since 85. I don't think he'll be upset at me for sharing that, but it's the elements one, two, three, and four, Stuart. Rock on. Well, so, Father Jim, we got about a minute or two left. So, the, the last thing I wanted to ask with you, would you share with our listeners, what advice would you give to somebody that maybe wants to follow in your footsteps? Maybe it's the priesthood, maybe it's the chaplaincy, maybe it's radio, but they look at your life and all the things you've done and this idea of being the do-up priest. What advice would you give to somebody that says, man, I, I want to be like that guy? Well, I don't, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like what God wants you to be like, like me, if that makes any sense. And you know, just to search your heart, search your soul, whatever faith you are, uh, talk to someone uh, of your various faith group, a minister, a priest, a rabbi. Uh, 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 if you're Muslim, to, to speak to your imam. Yeah. And uh, and just try to sort it out and, and follow what's in your heart. Because I know it's like getting married. Um, well, one priest told me, he said, Father, he said, he said, Jimmy, like Bill Jameson, Father Jameson. He said, uh, I think you have a calling. And, and I did. Now, it's been a tough road. It's not been easy. Priesthood has been a little difficult. Sure. Because of the, this passion, this, sure. this desire. So it's it's been a blessing, but follow what God calls you and listen, listen in your heart. Yes, that sounds hard. It's not if you set everything aside and listen, Amen. and God will speak to you. And, I, and by the way, I love you all, Father Jim. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> and when we come back from the break in just a couple minutes, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
live and local radio you can depend on for accurate news and stimulating talk. News Talk 1400, WOND, South Jersey's news talk leader. I worship you. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and as we close out today's show, let's just briefly talk about what we've heard from our guest. When Dr. Ken Hartman was on, he talked about ways that you can serve in your community. And one of the easiest things you can do is support our community salutes. And he talked about doing virtual thank you cards, going to one of those ceremonies, or even making a donation. But to make it more personal, when he talked about his time in the military serving as a veteran, he said something that's really important, and it applies not just to the military, but in any walk of life. And that is, you always come last if you're a leader. You always care for other people first. And in the area of faith, I love what Father Jim Drucker said. You need to follow what God calls you to do, and he will lead your steps and guide your way. Love that, and it's all about servant leadership and the way that God is calling you to do that. And very quickly, you know, each week I talk to you about when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. And just recently, this past week, I had an opportunity to go to San Antonio, and it was with my good friend Gordon Grossclose. He was a guest in the show a couple months ago, and a couple months ago, I had an opportunity to have Gordon to my home and show him the ropes around Philadelphia, and recently, when we went to San Antonio, there's where Gordon resided, and it was just a real blessing to be there with him, and he showed me all around town and his old stomping grounds and the sights there and things that were really important to him, and that was a real blessing to me. So one, I want to thank Gordon, but Two, I just want to point out to you, like, when you do good for other people, it does come back to you at times that you'll never can plan for. Listen, next week, two really great guests for you, Mr. and Mrs. Michael Van Stein. Michael is an executive director for SpectraCare Foundation. He also served as the president of Health First SpectraCare and the chairman and the CEO of an organization called Workforce 21. His wife, Kathleen Van Stein, was the co-founder of Spectra Home Care and serves as the Senior Director for Community Relations at Spectra Care. So I'm really excited about talking to them next week. I want to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple Podcast mailing list, and you can do that through my website at reverenddrpaul.com. That's R-E-V-D-R-Paul.com. You can also check out the show tab on my site for previous episodes of this program. Listen, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, How can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week.
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your.